Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you. It's been a little while since I've um, had the opportunity to come and talk to you, so um, apologies if I'm a little bit rusty this morning. Um, This is the third week, as Steve has said already, in our mini teaching series, Be Bold. It's the third week of four, so we are um, flying through. We've just got one more next week. And personally, I've found it to be um, quite a challenging series that we've been studying together. I found myself asking through this series, am I bold enough? Do I act boldly enough? Do I pray boldly enough? But I've also found it to be quite an exciting series as well, and I hope you have, as we remind ourselves that we serve a God who loves it, loves it when we pray those bold prayers. And I'm really excited to see what he's going to do in response to some of those bold prayers that we've been praying over these past couple of weeks, what adventures he might take us on as we step out in faith, as we dip our toes into the water, so to speak. And you know, it really doesn't matter whether you've been uh, a Christian for five minutes or whether you've been a a Christian for 50 years, because God has always got a new adventure that he wants to take us on. He's always got something new for us in our life. And I really hope and pray that this next season that we enter into as a church will be the boldest season yet. You know, we um, we don't serve a boring God, do we? Sometimes I think we we pretend that he's boring because it's easier, but we really, really don't. Okay, so before we jump back into the book of Acts, which is where we've been basing our series the last few weeks, I just want to recap for you. I want to test your memory. Okay, so the first week, we've had these these little taglines that try and help us to remember the talks. The first week was, boldness is a behavior born out of... Belief. Very good. Um, There we are. Last week we said, what you pray reflects... (laughs) This was just last week, guys. Reflects what you believe about God. Very good. We got there in the end. Um, It's really... uh, builds you up, doesn't it, Steve, when they they recall (laughs) so easily the the message that you... (laughs) Um, This week's tagline is going to be then, we speak boldly about what we believe deeply. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. So hopefully you can see through these three taglines that there is a common thread emerging through these talks. Our understanding, our trust in God has an impact both on our boldness for God and our boldness before God. God. You know, if we have a low view of God, if we're not really sure who he is or what it is that he's done for us, then chances are we won't be very bold at all. But if we have a correct view of God, of who he is and what he's done for us, and then we can step out in confidence and boldness. And so the easiest way to demonstrate this, the way that we've been looking at this through scripture, um, is a a narrative that we've been focusing on in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, find the book of Acts for me. It's a a narrative involving two of Jesus' followers, a guy called Peter uh, and a guy called John. And for those of you who are perhaps um, less familiar with your Bibles or newer to the faith, um, Acts is a book in the New Testament, 
which is the back third of your Bibles, and it's written by a medical doctor by the name of Luke. And Luke has two books in our Bible. Uh, the first one is called Luke, um, although it's really about Jesus. Um, and the second one is about the followers of Jesus after Jesus returns to heaven. Acts is a sequel, if you like, to Luke's writings about Jesus. And it's fantastic. It's this incredible book. It has drama. It has intrigue. It has uh, political unrest. It has supernatural occurrences. It's got heavenly hosts. It's got imprisonment, murder, epic journeys across the world, shipwrecks, people coming back from the dead. It's, I mean, it's basically Game of Thrones without the dragons. Okay? And if that doesn't get you interested in reading your Bibles, I don't know what will. Except that unlike Game of Thrones, the book of Acts really happened. This is an historical account, a historical account of what happened to the followers of Jesus, and it's the history of the early church. It's a really important book for us to read. And as I say, we've been looking at a particular narrative involving two of those followers, Peter and John. And Peter and John had been given a mission to carry out by Jesus. And just before we move forward in our story, I want to just take us right back to the start of Acts because they've received a specific calling on their life from Jesus. So uh, Acts chapter 1, um, if you've got your Bibles with you. And in verse 6, the disciples are talking with Jesus. Jesus has come back from the dead and they're chatting with him. And they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Essentially, that's the disciples saying, Jesus, what happens next? You know, you, you did that whole thing where you came back from the dead and, and defeated death. And whew, I mean, that was awesome, by the way, Lord. Fantastic job. But, but what's going to happen now? What do we do? Are you, are you going to overthrow the government? Are we going to have our own kingdom? Come on, God, tell us. What's next? What's next? Actually, the more I think about it, I'm pretty sure Game of Thrones stole most of their ideas from the Bible. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> This is what Jesus tells them. If you look in verse 7, this is what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it says in verse 9, After this he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from sight. The man knew how to make an exit. The disciples are like, what's next? Jesus says, you are. And then, boom, he's out of there. (laughs) Gone into the clouds. The disciples are left slack-jawed, staring at the sky. (laughs) This is just chapter one. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. But they knew what was coming. They knew that they were going to be witnesses. Forget winter is coming, the witnesses are coming. That's the last Game of Thrones reference, I promise. No more. And a witness is someone, it's someone who has inside knowledge. It's someone who, who knows what's up. My kids are the most fantastic natural witnesses I've ever seen. They're forever telling me what each other have been up to. Daddy, Amelie drew on the wall. Daddy, Elijah pushed me down the stairs. And, and so on. But the job of a witness, and particularly in a court of law, the job of a witness is to present the truth, to present the truth as they have seen it. And so Jesus tells them that that's what they're going to do. 
They're going to be his witnesses. They're going to present the truth to others as they have seen it. Now, the narrative we've been following for this series takes place a few chapters later. It takes place in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I want to just give you a brief recap of the story this morning before we move on, because I know many of you have been away, um, and it's also really useful for just framing um, the text for today. So basically, this is what's happened. One afternoon, and it was about 3 o'clock, we know that because Luke is a very details-oriented sort of writer, Um, Peter and John are heading to the temple to pray when they come across a man. It was a man who'd been crippled um, from birth. He was over 40 years old, uh, so this had been his reality for a very long time. Um, And because of the society that he grew up in, there was no option for him other than to become a beggar, someone who sits on the street and asks for money. And so they come across this guy, and the guy turns around to them and says, Hey, lads, can you give me some cash? And Peter turns around and says, Listen, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. That is some serious boldness right there, isn't it? He doesn't say, Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, and we'll see if God wants to do something. He says, Walk. And Luke tells us that, that they help him up. And that his ankles become strong and he jumps to his feet. That's the word he uses, jumps. Not like sort of slowly inches up, but literally jumps to his feet. And it says he goes with Peter and John, and you can read it for yourself in Acts 3.8, walking and jumping and praising God. Walking and jumping. I mean, that's skipping, right? Yeah? I don't know. Skipping, I'm going to say. And praising God. And Luke doesn't record um, the song or the praise that he sings. You'll have to use your imagination for that one. But it's this incredible scene because everyone knows this guy. He's been there for over 40 years, probably in the same spot on the same street corner. And as people would go to work in the morning about their daily business, there he would be. The cripple guy, the beggar guy. Call him Toby. There's Toby on the street again with his hand out asking for money. Same old every single day, except today, where's Toby? Where's Toby gone? Hey, what's that guy making all the fuss over there, skipping and singing? Is that Toby? No, it can't be Toby. It is Toby. Flipping out, look at Toby. He's dancing and skipping and singing. And so there's this commotion. There's this huge hubbub as people try and figure out what on earth happened to Toby. And this crowd gathers in wonderment and excitement. And Peter turns around to them and he faces the crowd and he says, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Essentially, guys, this is nothing. Wait until I tell you about Jesus and what he's done and his power to change people's lives. And that's what he does. He witnesses to the death and the resurrection and the power of Jesus. The people want to know what's happened in this person's life and so he tells them. Excuse me, I'm getting a bit excited and um, drying up. So that's just the opening to the story. That's just just how the story begins. Because Peter and John, they're not doing it in secret. They're in public. They're in the middle of the temple courts. And the the high priest and the temple guard, who are essentially the police of the day, they're uh, none too thrilled. Because they appear to be wanging on about Jesus, who they had put to death not too long ago. And so they grab Peter and John and they chuck them in jail until the next day when they can gather um, some important people to sort them out. And so the next day we're told that the rulers and elders and teachers of the law turn up. And we're in chapter 4, verse 5 now. 
in case you're not sure, I've been paraphrasing. Everything is uh, in the text, but I'm just giving it a bit of flavor. Um, and then we get, in verse 5, we get some big, big name drops. Okay, These are serious name drops. We've got Annas the high priest was there. We're told that Caiaphas is there, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. These are really, really important people, really people with influence and power in that age and day. This would be like, um, this would be like messing around in a, in a French lesson in school and then being called to the office at the end of the day and finding not only your French teacher there, but also your form tutor and the deputy head and the head teacher and probably the community support officer as well you would know that you are in serious, serious trouble. Except for expulsion wasn't the worst thing in this case. The worst punishment in this case was to be killed, was to be murdered. Because both Annas and Caiaphas had had major roles in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Peter and John um, were aware of this. They knew that was the situation that they were in. And so these big wigs, these big cheeses, they start to question them and they say, by what power or what name did you do this? And then verse 8, this is what Peter says. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and we're being asked how he was healed, then, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Boom. Mic drop. Again, mind-blowing boldness from Peter and John before these people that could sentence them to death. And you can just imagine, can't you, the look on the high priest's face as they make that response. It's kind of a mix, I think, of thunder and rage with Disbelief that these uneducated nobodies would have the gall to stand before them and make this kind of claim. In fact, you can read in verse 13, it's verse 13 it says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men, nobodies. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. They couldn't deny the reality of the changed life. And so they panic. They tell Peter and John to go and stand outside for a minute. And then they look at each other and they say, what are we going to do, lads? How are we going to deal with this before the people? What can we say? And one of them says, well, maybe we can just pretend it didn't happen. The other one says, well, we we can't because look, there's Toby. He's still flipping, skipping and dancing and singing out in the street. We can't deny it. It's right there in front of us. We need to do something. Come on, think, think, think. And they say, well, maybe, maybe we can just tell them to shut up. Maybe if we get them to be quiet and stop talking about it so much, then, then it'll all just go away. And so they call them back in and they command them, command them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John's response is incredible. Listen to this for a response. And this is where I want to focus today. He says, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot help it. 
It flows out of us. And you remember Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses. Not, I'd like you to have a go, please. I know it's going to make things a bit socially awkward, but if you could just try for me, I'd really appreciate it. No, he said, you will be my witnesses. You will be. And there's Peter and John saying, we can't help it. Speaking about all that God has done for us and in us and through us. And that's what they do. And it's what they do through the, the whole of the book of Acts. If you, if you read through the end of this chapter, verse 31, it says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak the word of God boldly. This continues to the book, Acts 9, verse 28. We read about Saul. Remember Saul? He later goes by the name Paul. It says that in Jerusalem, he goes about and he speaks boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts 14, 3, we find Paul and Barnabas outside Jerusalem now, speaking boldly for the Lord taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Samaria and all of Judea and to the ends of the earth. And it's this incredible story. It's a great story. It's a great book, I'm telling you. But I suppose this morning what we need to do is ask, what does this mean for us? Where does this leave us? What's expected of us? It's all well and good speaking about Peter and John and, and Paul and Barnabas, but they were special right? You know, they were, they were special people, a special time in history, and, and they, you know, most of them met Jesus themselves, so that would have helped. Uh, we can't be expected to speak that boldly. We can't stand up and speak for God, can we? Because, you know, that's not the world that we live in. People will think we're proper weirdos if we do that. Well, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> the bad news is, yes, Jesus is expecting you to speak of him, to be his witness, to speak boldly. Matthew, another um, writer who wrote about Jesus, records Jesus saying, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I don't want you to let that panic you this morning, because the good news is, it's easy if we use what God has given us. It's easy if we use what God has given us. And there's three things I want to just bring out to you this morning from the text that I've just been through with you. Just three that I think can really help us to be witnesses of Jesus in our lives. And the first one is this. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, the story we looked at this morning was to do with Peter and John. And if you know anything about Peter in particular, you will know that he is 100% the wrong person that you would ask to go and be a witness. He is a complete and utter and absolute wimp. In fact, just prior to Jesus being crucified, he was asked on a couple of occasions, three times in fact, if he was one of Jesus' followers. And each time he disowns him. He says, nah, it's not me. And in fact, one of the times, the, the person who asked him was a servant girl, an actual child. And Peter didn't even have the courage to stand up for Jesus when he's questioned by a child. And yet, in this story, we find him standing before the people who were instrumental in Jesus' sentencing 
and he cannot shut up about him. Seriously, I've skipped loads of verses today, mainly because it's just Peter talking about Jesus, and we haven't got that much time. So what changed? What was the difference in his life? Well, it was the very thing that Jesus said would change. Remember, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in chapter 4, verse 7, when the leaders asked, by what power or name did you do this? Verse 8 reads, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. It doesn't say, um, Peter said to them. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So it wasn't, it wasn't just Pete, but it was Pete with the Holy Spirit. And you know, Jesus knows the challenges that we face in this life. He knows how hard it is for us. He knows actually that on our own we're kind of useless. On our own we're probably not going to be able to stand up for Jesus, which is why he gives us his Holy Spirit. It's why he empowers us through his Spirit and gives us the ability through his Spirit to speak out for him. In fact, Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 10, verse 18, Listen to this. This is a foreshadowing, really, of this story. He says, On my account you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And you might recall from last week the bold prayer that Steve spoke to us about that's written in this chapter of Acts, chapter 4 at the end, which says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. And if you're someone who's nervous about sharing your faith or perhaps someone who's nervous about even admitting to others that you're a Christian, this is a ready-made prayer for you right here. It's a bold prayer, but it, it's, a, it's a good prayer. Lord, consider their threats. Look at the situation that I'm in. Look at what I'm facing. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, enable me to speak boldly for you. Kind of scary, right? Why not make it an even more specific prayer for your life? I know a number of you are going off to university uh, in a few weeks' time. Why not pray, Lord, consider my university. Consider the next three years of my life, every lecture that I'm going to be in, every hall or house that I live in, my roommates. Consider every nightclub I might go to, although obviously the Christians that we're sending off to uni would never frequent a nightclub. Um, (laughs) But consider every situation that I am going to face over the next three years and enable me through your spirit, to speak boldly for you. Lord, consider my work, consider my office, consider my staff break room, enable me to speak boldly for you. Lord, consider my friend's house, consider my mate Johnny, and enable me to speak boldly for you. I wonder if sometimes we avoid those kinds of prayers because we're afraid that God might answer them. What if the next time that we're in work or at uni or round Johnny's house, he actually gives us the opportunity to speak boldly for him? What then? Well, then we trust the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. And also we use the second thing that God has given us. 
And I believe that's the testimony of our lives. He's given us his Holy Spirit and he has given us a testimony. In order to be a witness, we need to have witnessed something. Otherwise, we're just making stuff up, right? And often, people, that's what people imagine Christians do. We just make stuff up. God, for example, we've just made up. They'll say things like, well, where's your evidence? Come on, prove it to me. And the answer is the same answer that Jesus gave to his disciples. It's you. Like those old um, lottery ads. Remember them with the big hand? It's you. You're the evidence that Jesus is real. You've witnessed the difference that Jesus has made in your own life and in the lives of people that you know around you. And during the service last week, we heard of the difference that Jesus had made in the lives of many people. We heard from Martin about his son-in-law and the difference that God had made in his work situation. We heard from Sue about her friend's daughter who was brain damaged and came here to this place and received prayer and now she's on the gifted and talented list. We heard during the service of um, Val sitting at the back whose sight improved throughout the morning. Hallelujah. It's incredible, right? We've witnessed these things. We've seen them. We know the difference that Jesus can make in a life. And the story we looked at in Acts, Peter and John, they have the opportunity to witness to the power of Jesus because of the dramatic life change that is seen in that crippled beggar. The priests who wanted to punish Peter and John, they couldn't do anything. We read in verse 16, everyone living in Jerusalem knew they had performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. There's nothing we can say. We can see the difference in that person's life. I've got a friend, just one, and I don't want to um, embarrass him this morning because he goes to this church. So we'll um, just call him Nathan. And, um, <coughs> and uh, uh, Nathan works for an insurance company and um, I was chatting to one of his colleagues uh, a number of weeks back and the, the subject of Nathan came up and, uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, everyone knows he's different. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? I thought I knew what they meant, but I wanted to clarify. Um, and they said, well, yeah, you know, it's like a high-pressure situation that we're in, and, and, and we have tempers, and, and if we have a bad phone call or whatever, we'll, we'll hang up and we'll be upset about it and we'll, we'll shout and have a swear or whatever. But Nathan, Nathan is different. And then they said this brilliant thing, which has really stuck with me. They, they said, actually, we have, this, we have this saying at work for when we're getting frustrated or, or angry. And they said the saying is, what would Nathan do? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry, Nathan. I just thought that's completely brilliant. It's completely brilliant because firstly, the difference in Nathan's life is such that others can see it. And I mean, that's a challenge for us right there, isn't it? Are we different enough that others can see him? But also, uh, the change is so pronounced that others want to be like him. I can't see it myself, but... 
But here's the thing, though. If our, test our testimony only has value if other people know that it's Jesus who made the difference. And um, I'm not talking about Nathan now, because I know he's very open with his faith and people know um, what he believes. But I feel like sometimes, and I really, I include myself in this. Steve last week spoke about how his message was a challenge to himself, and this is a challenge um, to me as well. But sometimes we can adopt this attitude of, well, I'm not going to say anything in case it upsets someone or it offends someone. I'm just going to let my life be a witness. I'm just going to go about the, the, the way that I live and people will just see Jesus in me, you know, I don't, in my eyes or something, staring back. Um, they'll just notice. It'll be fine. But, you know, like it'll be enough, but it's not true. He told in verse 4 of chapter 4 that many who heard the message believed so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It doesn't say that many who saw the miracle believed. It says many who heard the message, the accompanying message and exploration by Peter believed. That was what made the difference. And I believe I'm a better father and a better husband because of Jesus. I believe I'm more humble and more kind and more generous as a person because of Jesus. I know that there have been many times in my life where my faith and my trust in Jesus is the thing that has gotten me through and given me the strength I need to go on. But unless I tell people that, they won't know. They will just assume that is what I'm like. So our testimony only has power when people know that it's Jesus who have made, has made the difference. You know, if people had met that crippled guy a few years down the line, they wouldn't have known the difference that was made in his life unless he told them. My guess is he was probably still skipping and singing and shouting about it. But the absolute best tool that you've been given for evangelism, it's not your extensive knowledge of the Bible, it's not your firm grasp on Christian apologetics, it's the difference that Jesus has made in your life. That's it. That's what you're to bear witness to. Simply that. The final thing God has given us, um, I believe we see in this passage, is a heavenly perspective. When the disciples asked Jesus uh, what he was going to do next, back in Acts chapter 1, he said, don't worry about the times and dates. I'm paraphrasing again. Um, Your job is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And in that, they received their mandate from God. They knew what was expected of them. They knew what God wanted them to do to spread the good news of Jesus across the globe. And so when they're told by the priests, shut up, stop going on about Jesus, their response was, what is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to listen to him. They knew what God had called them to do, and they made that their absolute highest priority. Now, I came across um, a video the other day uh, on YouTube when I should have been working. Um, <laughs> made by the magician Penn Gillette. He's uh, one half of the famous duo Penn and Teller. You may have heard of them. Um, and the video is on YouTube if you want to look it up. It's called A Gift of a Bible. It's a little bit, I thought it was a bit long to sort of play to you this morning. Um, but Penn is he's an outspoken atheist. And uh, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't changed his opinion or his stance um, on that. And in the video, he talks about a guy, a similar age to him, who came to one of his magic shows. And he was an audience member that took place 
um, uh, took part sorry, in the performance, and he um, waited around afterwards to catch Penn and speak to him. And um, he said he ran into this guy, and the, and the guy complimented him on the show, and he said, I've brought this for you. And he gave him a New Testament and Psalms. And he said, I've written in the front of it, and I wanted you to have it. And I think he put his email or something in the front of the book. And then Penn says in the video that the man explained that he was a businessman and he was not crazy. Important distinction to make. And in the video, Penn talks about being moved by the man's gesture. He said he was nice and kind and sane. He said he looked me in the eyes and he talked to me and then he gave me this Bible. And then he said something that I thought was deeply, deeply challenging. He said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And he gave them this illustration. He said, if, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point that I tackle you. And he said, and this is more important than that. That's challenging, right? Now, I don't, I'm not suggesting to you this morning that, that when we don't tell us about Jesus, we hate them, because I know often it's our own insecurity. It's our own desire not to mess things up or, or say something wrong or, or get in the way of God working. And I, I understand the reasons why perhaps we don't share or witness as much as perhaps we should. But I do think that sometimes we forget what a privilege, what a joy, what an honour it is to know Jesus. That we have been given this incredible, incredible gift that we can give away to others. And I bet those of you who, who know Jesus remember what it was like when you first came to faith. I bet you wanted to shout it from the rooftops, didn't you? And for Peter and John, it didn't matter that the men who could orchestrate their execution were threatening them. Telling people about Jesus was the most important thing. It was their purpose. It was their privilege. It was their passion to do it. There's another three-point sermon for you. <laughs> purpose, privilege, passion. They spoke boldly about what they believed deeply. So I want you to be encouraged this morning. I don't want you to leave feeling discouraged. This isn't a, a difficult or onerous task that we've been given. What this is really at the heart of it, this is an outpouring of our own relationship with Jesus. You will be witnesses. And it begins by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not sure how that happens, it's really easy, guys, really simple. You just ask. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've, you've never met him and you're thinking, oh, I'm hearing about all this stuff about Jesus, about how he can change lives and make a difference, so you want to meet him this morning, you just need to ask. You just need to pray, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. I give my life over to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to speak your word with great boldness. And that kind of bold prayer will lead to a bold witness. And we witness to the fact that Jesus has changed our life and change the lives of those around us. You may not understand the whole Bible, you may not have the answers to life and death, but you know the difference that Jesus has made in your own life, right? And we love people enough to tell them that. 
And if you're still thinking this morning, man, there's just, there's just no way. I just can't be that bold. It's just not me. I, I, can't, I can't speak up. I just can't do it. I'm going to give you a really, really easy, simple thing that you can say. Are you ready? You can write this down. Hey, I'm going to have a go at this Alpha course in September. You want to come with me? I hear there's free food. <laughs> Done. <laughs> but listen, what's the worst that could happen? Honestly, what's the worst that could happen? They can say, nah, not interested, or you know, maybe, maybe next year I'm a bit busy in September. <laughs> Whatever. What's the best that could happen? Their whole life could be changed. They could find their king and saviour. They could start living with purpose and hope. They could be brought from darkness to light. They could be set alight for God. Their whole face could change. They might be happy for the first time in 40 or 50 years. Isn't that worth the risk? I think so. Shall we pray?